1: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Today, I have an interview I did with Charlie Puth, whose new album, Charlie, is out now. Charlie, of course, is not only a pop star, he's an incredibly talented producer songwriter who famously has perfect pitch. He opened up the process to making his album on TikTok, which was an amazing use of that medium. Today we talked in depth about the making of Charlie, about his time on Ellen DeGeneres' label, how he co-wrote the song Stay, that became a huge hit for the Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber, his love for Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen, and a whole lot more.
0: I just want attention. You
1: Your last album, Voice Notes, was a huge step forward for you. It was really well received. I like it a lot, but apparently you were only 60% happy with it. Why is that?
2: The, uh, the reason was because it was still during a time in my recording contract years where I was signed to a place that had some people in it that were not really motivated to have me finish a full body of work. It was really about what's the next hit single, what's the next hit single, hit single, hit single please. No one was ever really encouraging me to finish a full body of work. So I had multiple hits on that record and they were happy about that. And then when I showed them other album tracks, as they called them, they were like, yeah, cool. As long as it gets done. So that always kind of hurt and stung a little bit. And when I parted ways with them, and went back to my original record label proper atlantic records first thing they told me was that they wanted me to focus on making the whole body of work and i was actually i was actually taken aback by it a little bit i didn't really understand it because i was so manipulated in the past about just putting out singular music in my mind it meant oh you don't believe in me as an artist that i'm going to be able to have another hit you just want me to put the album out i didn't it it, it sounds crazy now because this is I, I'm so happy I accomplished this album and got it done. But back then it I I was so I I was like a, a a hurt dog. There's more guitars and for
1: the first time, sort of almost like rocky distorted guitars on this album. Is that you feeling the zeitgeist a little bit as far as what's popping out there?
2: Yeah, yes and no. I am aware of what's happening in the sonic world of music. I think it's part of my job, but. This whole record came about from me combining things that I don't really focus on enough and things that I uh, don't really know too much about but give me a positive feeling. There, There was this song by Jimmy Eat World in 2005 called The Middle. Everybody knows it. It's in D major, and it's like mid tempo, and it was played on every radio station in New Jersey. <laughs> we heard it, and it. I, I was never like a Jimmy Eat World fan, but I know exactly where I was when I heard that song the first time. I was at Farsdale Middle School in Rumson, New Jersey, and I was going to the mall after at two around two thirty, at two o'clock, and that song came on, and my mom dropped me off. And it just, I felt like a teenager and I felt like these were like my golden years. And it felt like the beginning of like a movie where like you see Bart Simpson skateboarding or something like that. I don't know if that makes it, just paint that picture. And <laughs> I remember telling myself, I'm, I'll, I i will feel like I'll make like a rock record one day, but I, I haven't. And I don't think I ever will make a rock record, but I certainly am going to capture feelings that. A record like that gave me and make a song like charlie be quiet which is track two on my album charlie
0: Charlie,
2: it sounds nothing like jimmy eat world the middle but it hopefully will give some other eighth grader that happens to listen to my album that same nostalgic i'm in this moment feeling like i know that tomorrow like today is never going to happen again kind of feeling i know that maybe they'll get that feeling by listening to charlie be quiet not that i'm comparing my song to a rock song but i just i i wasn't listening to any particular genre of music when i made this album i tried to encapsulate the feeling that I had from listening to music that I grew up with. That was a long-winded explanation of I just am very, I made an album based off music I was inspired by.
1: I don't think that I Like Her, to me, almost has a Weezer vibe, which was very unexpected in the chorus. I don't know if you felt that yeah. at all, if we were aware of that. I don't think that I
2: like her anymore we're all the same All want to do is break my heart, my heart Yeah, it definitely, definitely uh, was hinted at Weezer a little bit and almost like a like a penny lane kind of situation where i i, I love how the beatles put chord progressions on uh every other lyric and they're almost like uh you listen to like blackbird for example there's a blackbird one two chord 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 blackbird there's more chords than there are lyrics at that part of the song <laughs> that's what i wanted it to do for i don't think that i like her with the long title.
0: Blackbird fly. Blackbird fly.
1: I feel like you kind of played into the Weezer thing. That's when I was pretty sure you were aware of it because you were putting in little things that sounded like a Rivers Cuomo guitar fill. They might have been played on keyboard or they might have been vocal, but these little frills against counter melodies.
2: What's funny is that I don't even really know that much about Rivers Cuomo and about Weezer. I know uh, some of the records they put out put out in in uh, in in 8 uh, the the one song that goes I don't even know the name of that song. I just remember hearing it and I remember it being 2008 and me being addicted to YouTube. I just remember where I was when I heard that song. I, I never really listened to a lot of Weezer to be honest, but I just I, I guess when I was making that song I subconsciously wanted to tap into that feeling of hearing Weezer for the first time.
1: You have a lot of keyboard skills, but my understanding is you can barely play guitar. Sometimes you fake it on keyboards, and sometimes you sort of play a chord and then sample it and play it. How do you, what is your trick for for laying yeah. down guitars?
2: So for, well, since we're talking about, it, I don't think that I like her track 11 for anyone who hasn't listened yet. That little boom, 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 that was played. Those little beginning plucks were recorded with this iPhone here, and it was me playing just one little pluck, the boom, boom. And then when you pitch it up in Pro Tools, it kind of shortens it. Uh, uh, so I made sure that some some of the lengths of the notes I was using polyphonic and made sure that the duration of each note was the same. And it sounds, when you do that, it sounds almost robotic when you copy and paste a bunch of, the, the same velocity note a bunch of times. It was da, 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 da. And then I move the notes around. Dun, 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 dun and I get almost excited by the roboticness of it because I know that my guitarist, Jan, is going to play on top of it, and I'm going to keep the robotic version for the punchiness of it, but the humanness is going to be layered two, three times over it, and that's how I did Attention, and that's how I did uh, We Don't Talk Anymore was the only song where I just used the original guitar off the iPhone sound.
1: We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore. It's now become sort of a famous part of the narrative of this record that you had those singles in 2019, and Elton John yeah. told you they were no good. What was the context of that conversation? How did you happen to be talking to Elton John where he decided to like break your heart about these songs? Well,
2: I, it was it was less of a break. It was it was harsh, but it was an important realization. I had kind of been in denial about how many people I was working with on some of these other pieces of music and. They just no longer, there are so many producers and so many writers. I've worked on music where there's a bunch of writers and producers for other artists, but for my project, it just, if one piano sound is wrong, it doesn't sound like me. So he basically told me, yes, you're correct. You are working with way too many people. You really need to get uh, back to working with yourself and a select few, uh, because that's how your music sounds most genuinely you. And I just was taken aback because he's such a legend, obviously, but he was the one who affirmed to me that I need to just start over. And then the pandemic hit, and I thought my career as a touring artist was pretty much over. Um, But I performed for people in a different way, and I turned to the internet and uh, turned on uh, my phone camera and made TikToks of me performing uh, in my studio. The breaking downness of a song.
1: Yeah, you really took very naturally to TikTok. In fact, I heard that your label was kind of sending other artists to your TikTok and being like, you need to be like that. That was just you naturally taking to it. it. It can't be really forced.
2: Yeah, I mean, Light Switch, the first instance of one of those TikToks reaching a lot of people, Light Switch, the reason why that video was even made is because it was so different from records like Attention and One Call Away, and things that I've done in the past, and having that, being that I I left my previous uh, record label situation where I was so dependent on their seal of approval, and I felt like I didn't have that anymore. I felt like I was kind of flying without my uh instruments no pun intended but you know when pilots fly a plane they have instruments and it helps them land the plane i felt like i was flying a plane from the 1950s like i was just <laughs> alone out in the sea and i no longer had my person i run things through anymore and i called my friend jeff and i was like i don't even this song is so weird i have no idea if this could ever be a thing. And he was like, why don't you just tell people how you made the song? Jeff was the one, Jeff Levin at Atlantic records was the one who told me, why don't you just tell people how you made the song in a really simple way. And I really meant it when I was like, what if there was a song that started off like this? I don't know if it's any good. If it started off with this, these uh Sade, like drum, like, and then there. And then I think mid filming of that, I realized that this, I feel like people could gravitate towards this because it's so unique and strange how it all came together. And it sounds way more different than anything I've ever done. And then, of course, I upload it and then I get a giant thumbs up from the Internet and they tell me, finish this song. And then I dragged it on for five months and started the album.
1: You said that the pandemic was really the first time that you got to slow down in your whole career, that you were sort of on fast forward the whole time before that. What were you able to kind of recover for yourself during that time?
2: Well, something that I've always wanted to say, I certainly don't make music for critics, but I was agreeing with them when they curbed my first album and they were like, this is the worst music ever. (laughs) And I'm like, I wish I had time to make a better album because there are certain songs that I still love performing to this day, like We Don't Talk Anymore, which is like this dark pop, like Spanish guitar, like hodgepodge of multi-instrumentation like it was different at the time and it still holds up today i wish i had 11 more of those songs on that first album but we had see you again the biggest song since lose yourself and i was never supposed to sing that record i wrote it specifically for another artist to sing and then i suddenly had to figure out how to be an artist in front of millions of people it's been a long you my friend
0: and I'll tell you all about
2: And uh, I was corny. I was (laughs) figuring out how I was twenty-four years old, I was (laughs) figuring out how what it meant to like how to sing in front of a live audience. I had never done any of this stuff before because I thought I was just gonna be behind the scenes. So forgive me if I made some missteps, but I had millions of eyes on me. Usually you figure Mm -hmm. out how to do that stuff in private, make your record, and then present it to the world. I did it all uh, backwards. And I forgot what the, what was the question you asked? I just, I'm having war flashbacks.
1: You're heading towards it. I mean, basically the idea that you were on fast forward throughout your whole career and that the pandemic was your first chance to kind of like breathe and catch up.
2: It was. And it felt, it, it felt kind of weird and still and also good at the same time. I, I got sick so many times from flying on so many planes, but yes, the pandemic was the 2020 to 2022 Two, mid-2022 was the first time where I was like in more of a chill mode
1: what did you gain from that?
2: I gained perspective I almost called this album conversations with myself because I had in order I, I was forced to not be around people I like I literally couldn't like we had to sign waivers if you wanted to go into the studio with people I was like fuck that I'm gonna <laughs> just make all these songs and produce these songs all myself and finish them off with the people that I um, are, are that that are in my circle like jcash Cash? I don't really like therapy. I think that I can fix a lot of my problems just by uh, uh, listening to music and and uh, self-reflecting. I mean, therapy. I'm not dodging therapy. Therapy is good for some people, but for me, I just I've I've solved some of my greatest debacles by just sitting down at the piano and thinking, you know, about an alternate way to accomplish something. Maybe in the future I'll have a therapist, but for now this album was my therapy. And I found out a lot about myself. And I went through, I, you know, I went through two, uh, breakups, one romantic and the other one in a business way. Someone that I, uh, had started my career with was suddenly out of my life, but I felt that they were like less in my life as the years progress after attention. And I, had i it was a loss at one time of two relationships that i thought i needed to succeed and uh, two people that i thought i needed to succeed uh with and uh when when they 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 left me i I figured out a way i i I realized sorry i'm just i'm really it's slight trauma i uh I, i realized that i'm capable of a lot of things and making an album is one of them and i'm gonna do this myself and uh, I'm uh, sorry, I'm reliving it right now. It's like, uh, uh, I hope people listen to this album and realize how special they are because I realized how special I was.
1: I remember that when you did that New Jersey TV benefit concert during lockdown, you were in your parents' house. Does that mean you spent some time living with your parents again?
2: Yeah, some of these songs were conceptualized at my parents' place um, and my love of TikTok started in that room shortly after that filming.
1: It must have been weird to be sitting there sort of back to where you started just with your keyboard.
2: And it was at their house in California, but it, like, since we had moved from New Jersey, but it gave me the same feeling of being dropped from Interscope in 2012 and leaving Ellen DeGeneres' record label and going back to school. It was a slight feeling of defeat and being bummed out that things didn't work out, I remember during that time I moved back home with my parents after I graduated Berkeley, which is like a musician's worst nightmare, but I was looking forward to figuring things out again. I was alone and I figured things out and I took the approach of, okay, if I'm not going to be a famous singer, I will make songs for famous singers. And then of course I wrote "See you again and ended up being the singer. And it all worked out in a way that I didn't think it was going to. And I thought, here I am in twenty in March, April, twenty twenty, in a. It, this is giving me a similar vibe of when I moved back to my parents' place at college. I know it's not a global pandemic; wasn't happening. But <laughs> I, if I figured it, if I figured it out then, what to do with my career? I can certainly do it again, and. The I realized okay so what am I missing I'm missing performances I'm missing playing live shows like is my career as a touring musician completely over and the reason why I was asking that is because some of my best songs were made after coming off stage going backstage and then just encapsulating that vibe of playing for ten thousand people and then making something exciting for them that I could perform next year for them I didn't have that anymore so I was like I got to figure out a way to do that on the internet and. Like I said before, it was all I turned to TikTok and started performing for my fans in a different way.
1: You know, speaking of Ellen, you know, Grayson Chance just came to Rolling Stone and he didn't have a great experience on her label. He didn't have a great experience with
2: her. What did you think of what he said and how does that compare to your experience? Um, Ellen's never been, uh, uh, people describe Ellen as rude. I've never experienced that. Maybe she likes me. Um, But I remember being really excited when um i got offered the record i'll never forget where i, I was in her uh, her dressing room and uh they asked me if they wanted if i wanted to be part of this new record label they were starting up so it was a very exciting time uh for me um where i do agree um not that i, I we both have different experiences but uh, me versus grayson but um i do agree with him that uh nobody was really present after uh, certainly after the creation of my first like demo EP, we didn't. I didn't really hear from anybody. Um, after that, not 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 put, putting any blame just on one person, but like from a collective, I all the people that were in that room, I just they just whew, disappeared, and uh, but even then, I was fortunate enough to, um, I I got a scholarship to Berkeley. So I was able to fall back on going back to school and finishing school. And I was super, I even to, I look back on that, I'm like, what a relief. I'm so fortunate and grateful to fall back on school and to continue my education. So it was a real blunder that it didn't work out. But I went back to Massachusetts and uh, continued my education. So that's
1: how it ended? You delivered a demo and every, and then just like,
2: I never, ghosted? I never, I never heard those songs again. Um, but. <laughs> I don't know how good they were. Again, mm. I, I, I wasn't a very, uh, I was a YouTube artist. I don't know how, uh, I, I don't think even think I was a very good singer. I still don't think I'm a very good singer, but back then I was rough. <laughs> so I, uh, I <laughs> was happy to not hear those songs anymore. Um, but I, I, I do agree. I, it, I didn't really hear from anybody after I put the, uh, those songs out, but it was a bit of a different situation for me because I was kind of glad that I didn't hear those songs again because i knew better things were coming
1: i know you were just on ellen's show it doesn't sound like you've ever really talked this through or maybe you have privately
2: no it's 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 never really come up when i perform see you again on her show um it's like i i also don't talk shit on any anybody because i i believe everybody in this world is here for a reason and (laughs) i when i when i when i when i saw her it was uh like, uh, it, it didn't feel like four years had passed. It feel like uh, maybe a year had passed. And it was like, oh, hey, great to see you. Okay, so we're going to talk about this. And I was like, great. I just, onward and upward. You had a great response on
1: TikTok, but I think it also, it might have slightly got under your skin where that guy said, uh, you know, that you're a musical genius, but you make, quote, mid-pop music. I mean, it's it's interesting. Like, I don't know what...
2: Well, what is, what is, what is music for is, am I supposed to make music for geniuses only? I'm not even calling myself that like, imagine just making music for scientists, the sounds of beakers and uh, boilers. And uh, imagine only make, if you're a chef, but you're only going to make food for people that like snails and you're, you're going to call your restaurant snail food. And everyone who is going to go there has no choice, but to have escargot. And if you don't like it, you're not allowed to fucking eat there. Like, it, it, I, it's such a stupid, myopic comment. It's, I, I, I make pop, like, have your opinion. You took the time to write on my page, but I'm happy that person had that opinion because if they didn't comment, then that's, that's the way they don't realize that would hurt me a lot more. I actually got a reaction out of them, which I, I, I love, but I'm making pop music. I'm trying to cast my Fisher's net and, gather as many ears as I can so with that is gonna maybe you know pop culture is kind of corny so it's inevitable
1: it's funny because actually light switch for example has some some pretty fancy chords in the intro you you, you tend to slip it some flat 11th and stuff you slip that stuff in there yeah
2: yeah because I love David Foster and that was a guy who makes made pop music and and Quincy Jones slipped in jazz chords and It sounds, I describe them as like expensive chord changes. They're (laughs) chords with a little bit of rubby notes and dissonance and resolving. And especially in American music, you hear it more and more every day. You hear uh, uh, in that Steve Lacey record that's done very, very well. Those aren't just triads on that guitar. Those are, you know, stretchy kind of, it's not, I wouldn't describe it as jazzy, but they're more complex than a one 3 5 But that's just, uh, I'm inevitably going to always put that into my music because that's from my jazz background.
0: and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
1: You just covered uh, New York State of Mind. Enjoyed watching that.
2: Some folks like to get away. Take a holiday from the neighborhood. I, I think I did OK on it. I, I watched it back. I'm like, ugh, I, I slipped in pitch a lot. It's I, I had rehearsed it once. It's not an easy song to sing. I, I thought it sounded no. really good. and The, the
1: crowd loved it. Uh, Thanks. If you had to pick Billy Joe or Bruce Springsteen, uh, <laughs> the ultimate Tri-State question.
2: Oh, man. It's, I hate that. Make the case for each one. If you were going to pick each one. So Bruce Bruce Springsteen, believe it or not, I only started listening to Bruce after 9-11 because he made the The Rising. And in my opinion, that's a no-skip album because it beautifully, and I've told him this, it beautifully painted such a dark, tormented time in such a but 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 visually in the beautiful month of September in New Jersey and you know being living in the east coast like September is the best time to be in New York September is the best time to be in the east coast because it's the fall foliage you still get a little bit of the summer heat and i remember that day very vividly and it was just an unusually perfect day out and just seeing black smoke and i i, I and then hearing Bruce's uh, album, there's a song, the track one is called Lonesome Day.
0: Well, it's gonna be okay. if I can just get through this lonesome day.
2: And yeah. It's an F major and it sounds like Hungry Heart, which is his prior work.
0: Everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody's
2: got a hungry heart. And it's very happy sounding, but it's about the, it's literally about 9-11 it's the saddest day ever and I was always so fascinated how he was able on the rising to combine happy chords happy sentiment with the main dichotomy being what, what was being sung lyrically happy and sad at the same time and uh that, so, so I I and then i discovered other uh, greetings from Asbury Park and went backwards from Bruce so I I'm greatly appreciative of Bruce, and I don't think there would be See You Again without a track 15 on that album, My City of Ruins, which ha- has a similar chordal
0: cadence. To
2: it, which has been used in many songs, but I yes, was considering waiting,
1: waiting on the World to Change, right? Um, yeah, e- exactly. <laughs> There's a song called uh, Tick Tock People by Steve Ray Vaughan. That That's where John Mayer got it. One night while sleeping in my bed, I had a beautiful dream that all the people of the world got together on the same wavelength and began helping. Oh, and of course, People Get Ready by Curtis Mayfield and The Impressions.
0: People get ready. as a train a-coming. You don't need no... There's
2: Crazy Love by... <laughs> Uh, By Van Morrison. The list goes on and on.
0: I can hear her heartbeat from a thousand miles. Yeah, the hell open.
2: But that's how why I appreciate Bruce, and I'll text him that right now if I could, because he's, um, and I can, because he's a text buddy of mine, and he still lives in New Jersey, and I think that's super cool that a super successful artist is just back to his roots in New Jersey. He, like he's that.
1: doing he's uh, doing an r&b album an r&b covers album and it's getting a little too close to your, your turf maybe is he
2: really he
1: has like a commodore's song from the 80s supposedly wow. <laughs> so it's, uh, i'm
2: super i'm super excited to hear that and billy joel i i grew up playing classical music and uh you listen to there's a i think his most recent record which was a still like almost 30 years ago River of Dreams there's a song called Lullaby I think he wrote for his daughter Alexa
1: Good night my angel time to close your
2: eyes and save these questions It almost sounds like a like a classical piece of music and I remember hearing that it's like that's like the music that I'm learning that my piano teacher is teaching me but it's a pop song I can that just affirms to me that I can learn i can not get discouraged about not nailing the mozart piano concerto because i can just learn it the best of my to the best of my ability and then make it into a pop song and billy joel was the living proof of that to be possible like i can be a successful artist and play the piano which you know my friends made fun of me for playing but because i was a dork in middle school and (laughs) and, and beyond but I looked at Billy Joel as the cool guy who made classical music into pop music.
1: I wanted to ask you about working on Stay the Kid Leroy song that, that ended up having Bieber on it.
0: I do the same thing I told you that I never would. I Told you I changed. Even when I I never could know that I can't. Find nobody else as good as you. I
1: you. There's like a lot of people credited on that. I think you were you were hanging out in a house and tell me about the circumstances that that led to that and how that came together.
2: You know, I think one of Leroy's, I, I don't know any of anybody on his team, but I think one of his guys, like who doesn't even make music, was just sitting in the room and maybe like took credit for the song. I wasn't really involved in that, but I guess that's how that world works. I'm usually the only producer for my own music, but sometimes I'll venture out and make music for other people. But it was really uh, Blake Slackin, Omar Fetty, um, and uh, myself and Leroy that made that. Leroy came up with, I do the same thing. I told you that I never would. But I did the melody because I had been listening to a bunch of Chicago on the way over to that session. Wow. And like, a, dun, 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 uh, or, or that's not Chicago. Who said, dun, when you get up in the, in the New York City. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh, like, uh, sorry. I, dun, 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 I... Yes, Uh, uh, whatever the fuck that song is called. It's you have that melody and then the singer would come in. I'm going to sound like such a moron that I didn't didn't know the name of that song. No, I can't
1: can't think of it either. It's a total thing from my
2: childhood that I'm completely blanking on, but we'll figure it out. Well regardless there are songs like that um, Sorry seems to be the hardest word After all that we've been through
0: What do I gotta do To make you care
2: What do I do I was listening to a bunch of records That had the cor- either the chorus melody Or the verse melody At the intro and the instrument was playing it And then the singer would come in And there was this instant relief of familiarity sense of familiarity from by the listener because they had already heard that melody before so i started playing slowly in this 80s like uh dancing in the gymatorium 1988 kind of sounding thing and then it turned (laughs) into christopher cross by the way christopher christopher cross Cross, Cross, like i said christopher yes Like I said, that song by Christopher Cross. And uh, that ended up turning into, I I sped it up a little bit. On this harpsichord setting on the Juno, on my friend Blake's Juno. And then I got these drums that I had used on on voice notes, this really punchy lin snare and, and kick. And all I did, I guess maybe being influenced by blinding lights, just did the... And it kind of sounded clunky. If The beat wasn't very good, but until Leroy got on the microphone and saying I do the same, he's, he freestyled that whole chorus. I thought he was going to sing something against that compl- complicated melody, like something slower on top of it. And he ended up doing it note by note. And I was like, oh my God, it's just like the Chicago song. We kind of sat on it for a year and Blake was the one who championed it to be done. And I think people hated it. At first, in the classic case of a hit song. Everybody hated it, except me, Omer, um, Blake, and Leroy. Leroy, I think, thought the song was dead. And we finished it, and then Bieber got on it and kind of gave everybody's trust. Uh, I I regained everyone's trust in the the record because he did a good job on it, and he's a superstar, etc. And the song doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Very happy to be a part of it. It's a
1: monster song. But yeah, there are like... I, had, I mean, three other producers credited on it and
2: yeah. several oh, other I'm songwriters. So, Kat, so, so a really talented producer, Kashmir Kat, Kaji, came in and did the middle section of the, the hyper pop section, the halftime section. So he's a legitimate, he came in a little bit after, the fact, but he's a legitimate contributor to the song. I don't know who the hell everybody else is on there, <laughs> but that's why I don't have people sitting in my fucking room when I'm making a song.
1: Uh, Were you just all there for the purpose of writing for Leroy or was it just like
2: hanging out? I think Leroy was on his way to go somewhere. The whole point was to um, just hang out. And then he was like, hey, just play something on the keyboard. And that was the first thing that I played. Your album is full of short songs. There's some songs that are
1: like two minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think you don't waste a second. But how deliberate was that? to shorten everything
2: i just said everything that i needed to say on there's a song called marks on my neck that doesn't bother to go into the third chorus yeah sure it's the climate of songs right now people's you know granted people's attention spans have been severely shortened because of things like TikTok and and whatever but I'm not exactly playing into people's attention spans. That's just, I legitimately had said everything that I needed to say on certain songs. So some songs had three choruses. Light Switch had three choruses. That's Hilarious as two. And you look back to records like I Want to Hold Your Hand by The Beatles. <laughs> Those records were maybe a little bit over a minute. And it seemed weird in the year 2000 when the average pop song was borderline four minutes. But now you look at that and it's almost weird if your record's three minutes. <laughs> Obviously, these songs are about things I went through and these two vicious breakups that I went through, both professionally and romantically. And that's what this whole entire album is about. I'm very open about that. But what's intriguing is that I don't really even think about how a song is going to line up with my image. Like I have the music video in mind, but I'm not like concerned about like a song making me look a certain way. I'm so concerned about how a song is affecting the listener and filling in the blank for them and making the soundtrack to whatever they're going through. And I guess that's maybe subconsciously, that's why some of these songs are short because I'm so concerned about uh, other people's interests and maybe people's interests in music right now are brief. Songs that they can play over and over again.
1: I really like this song, "Loser." What do you remember about putting that together? I
2: I to so. Ah, I love it. I'm glad you love that. I, I I love it a lot. I love that song. I love a wordplay, and I remember um, this was a different time, but I was with somebody that, like a friend. That I was uh, that that turned into something else, and I remember maybe I'm ve- I'm very nice to everybody, but I was distracted and very focused on my career, and I thought that I had lost that person, and I remember feeling like such a loser, like ah I'm so- I could have had such a great time with her, but I really lost out. I'm such a moron. I I could have had some that could have been something great, and I remember showering and having the word loser in my head and wondering why I never wrote about that and then realizing that the words lose her sound the <laughs> same as loser when you say it together fast and it also just happens to rhyme and when I thought of that right in my head the arpeggio in a flat minor and that melody i'm such a loser i feel like a cello would play that or something it almost sounds like a nursery rhyme that Mm. the 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 father dropping off their child like can't get out of their head because they heard their kids singing it on the way to school like that's what i wanted it to i wanted it to feel like the song's been around for a hundred years and uh so yeah real life experience plus over musicality (laughs) <laughs>
1: how do you hear music do you have that synesthesia thing where you see it in some way how do you perceive chords and melodies and stuff how does it sit in your head
2: it's it's very i pharrell told me that he sees colors uh foster told me that he can hear the music in his head i can hear the song the completed song in my head as well it always ends up it's a, a, a me visualizing what a song is going to sound like because that's it's weird using the word visualize and hearing but i visualize what the song is going to sound like it's the same thing as me visualizing what a party that i don't want to go to is going to look like because i'm i have a lot of social anxiety and i tend to think about what the event or stage or party is going to look like in my head before i'm there to make myself feel better and like oh i can go in that corner and sit down and have a drink if i need to be away from people And I have it in my mind. And every time that I end up going to the party, it's kind of, it's like 70% of what it looked like in my mind, but ends up being 30%. What's 70 plus 30 is 100? Got it. (laughs) It ends up being 30% different. That's that RFH math for you right there. It ends up being slightly different, but like sort of what I expected. It's the same thing as a song. Like when I made Loser, I knew it was going to be the tempo. I knew. Of what it is now, I knew there was going to be wide guitars, and I could hear the song in my head. But it's thirty percent different when I put it to the Pro Tools. So when I think of a song, I have to be able to play it in my head and not forget it. And then if I think of a song and I forget it, like twenty minutes later, that means I don't care about it and I don't. It doesn't deserve to go into Pro Tools. But if I have the loser melody in my mind, I'll drive down Melrose quickly to the studio where I was recording at the time and get it done.
1: What did you learn from working with Jungkook on uh, "Left and Right"?
2: I learned that no matter what language you speak, you can communicate with somebody through melody. That's the biggest thing I learned through collaborating with a uh, like a South Korean artist such as him. And he, by the way, he's a low-key prodigy. He has perfect pitch, and he can recall any note right on the spot, which I found very impressive, but he doesn't speak a lick of English and we're able to communicate like we're best friends just through music. It's a really nice, beautiful thing. He can sing his ass off, obviously. He really can. When he sent me that vocal, I'm usually going to war on vocals. Some collaborations (laughs) I've done in the past, I'm I'm really fixing it up. But he sent me I would say him and Boys Two Men when I collaborated with Boys Two Men. I just all I had to do was just Take the vocals and just drop them in.
1: No, this is not goodbye.
2: and it's impressive that he's able to nail the English dialect um, in his accent too. It's really impressive.
1: You're obviously buddies with Adam Levine. How's he doing? Is it weird to have your friend like have the entire internet piling on him for three weeks at a time?
2: I think it's weird I mean it's happened to me in the past. I remember. Going on stage and uh, you know, in my mind thinking, oh, it'll be super funny right now if when I was sing "We Don't Talk Anymore," if I say "fuck you, Justin," because that that that's a funny joke. It was really f- offensive, and he and I actually joked about it. I think um, like a couple a couple months back. So it's all good there, but I know what it's like to have all the fucking believers at your throat. So obviously I'm not even really super familiar with the situation, but I do, you know, he is a buddy of mine. I feel like sometimes I don't know. Uh, I, I I was really taken aback by that, to be completely honest, and I don't even honestly know what to say because it's not a great situation. I can't relate to it at all, and. I don't know what, I I simply am just here, like, not knowing what to do.
1: I think that's fair. I will say, like, Justin's much funnier than people might assume. He he pranked the hell out of you.
2: There was a moment where I was like, are you, I I wasn't like, I was almost like annoyed. I'm like, are you really bringing this up six (laughs) years later? But yeah, I guess, I think he's, what, he's a notorious prankster or something like that. So it's all good. I want to be the easiest going person in the music industry. I I guess I have a bad sense when someone's joking, because I took that that pretty literally.
1: I am still so confused by the Benny Bianco thing, because I've heard all different things that that was a joke, that was not a joke, you said you weren't sure. But then I was like, are you joking when you said you weren't sure? I, I remained perplexed.
2: I'm just as perplexed as you. I also just don't care anymore. Sometimes I sometimes I see those videos pop up and I'm like is it over yet? It's kind of old. I thought we were friends. I don't know. Maybe that's like some weird LA shit. I don't that I don't understand. We're friends but on the internet we're foes. I know that Something her told me, H-E-R, you know. To, I love is, Gabby. She, the, she talked about being
1: sort of a prodigy. You know, she played a ton of instruments and she had her technical skills before she knew what kind of artist she wanted to be. And it seems like a very similar thing to what you went through. It, it, it can almost work against you when you have a lot of technical skills very young. Uh, because you, you have all these options. You have to figure out exactly what you want to do and what you want to be.
2: Yeah, and you, but you don't want to... Like, well, I shouldn't even say you don't want to. I, I, Quincy Jones told me that knowing jazz and being familiar with jazz compositions is your best tool to make a pop song because you don't need to use everything in the kitchen sink to produce a record like, like Thriller, but you can use, like we were talking about before, a slightly dissonant chord and use it once in a while, and it's just enough for a pop song to make it just a little bit more interesting than again the triads and the but but again it's all perception because there's an artist claro who made one of my favorite songs pretty girl she made it i think even before she was signed as a major label artist and those are the simplest chords on a like a casio like sounding keyboard and that still is a pretty powerful pop song that still holds up to this day.
1: Did Quincy recognize the extent to which you captured some of his vibe on some of the tracks on Voice Note?
2: Yeah, but I think uh he's uh he he would be like like, like there's this kid Miles on TikTok that's a 6-year-old prodigy and knows how to play every instrument and everybody says that he's my bastard child that I don't know about <laughs> and <laughs> I've seen that uh, kid. I, I'm so impressed by him, and I talked to his dad. His dad's awesome. The kid is clearly a like a sick genius, but I'm not like overly like emphatic. Like, oh my God, do you know what you have on your hands? You need to take him on the road immediately. I Quincy was the same with me. I guess he uh, he he wasn't visually throwing his arms up and being like, oh my goodness, I've met someone who studied my my works, and I'm so proud of you, and the p- quick, we need to we need to record right away. He was very calm and collected, and I was playing a' um, because I was telling him how much I liked that chord, and I didn't realize that he fucking wrote that song.
1: There's a song, uh, Feeling Yourself, that got left off the album. What happened to them?
2: Wow, you did research. It just didn't feel good enough, and I didn't want to perform it. And I finished it, and I was like, wow, I do not want to get on stage and play this because it's too high, it's... <laughs> I want to start. I start, I want to mess with my lower register. I, don't, I want to stop singing in the heavens. It's really difficult as I get older to maintain that high register. But the main thing on that song was like, I just don't want to sing this live. And if I don't want to sing it, I'm certainly not going to want people to listen to it. So it lives on the internet. The the luxury of being able to just make these songs in a pretty short amount of time. I don't have to pay a kill fee to any producer. I just simply tell myself, I'm not going to use that. Next.
1: On this song, there's a first time for everything. It, I think it encapsulates your ability to kind of pull cool sounds out and combine them. There's a great sort of evocative retro synth sound. And then there's that, uh, the beat that I would call like sort of the love is a battlefield beat. Tell me about pulling those sounds together. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, the song actually started super slow, and there's this hip-hop record by I think Sofego uh, that had this really. There was a theme in rap music for a while, like around like you know Trippy Red and Playboy Cardi, to have a sustained chord and a a sustained set of chords instead of um, uh, plucked chords like plung, 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 plunk, which was kind of the Migos era. It was the complete opposite. So that I, I heard these
1: and
2: I was like, oh, I'll just, I'm bored. I'll just make a hip hop beat right now. Cause I went into this industry producing hip hop. So kind of just to calm my mind and do something different. And then I was like, what if I turn that up seven notches? So it went and then it made the entire synth faster. And then I put the drum down and I already had a snare ready to go. And I was on the fast five because I had just finished light switch. And I, again, went into my mind, had a conversation with myself about a time where I experienced something firsthand that I had never experienced before with somebody, and I was like, okay, I'm going to sing about this. And my heart was beating really fast during that encounter. And how do I mimic that musically? and you make a song that's like almost 200 BPMs.
1: You seem to have made an album that you're kind of most comfortable with out of everything. What path do you see opened up for you now?
2: I think taking... I'll tell you what I'm not going to do is make an album and and not document the process and not have people uh, watching it every uh, every step of the way. I don't think I'm ever going to make an album where I'm... You know, hiding away from people, and I'm in my little cocoon. And then one day I'll be ready to share it with everybody. It just doesn't feel like me. It feels on the nose of trying to be too cool. It might work for some artists, like it definitely works for superstars like Rihanna and The Weekend. To and Prince would always do that, and you wouldn't hear from them or Frank Ocean. But for me, I just I I, I like uh, educating, and I like if I weren't doing what I'm doing now, I'd be a teacher. I like sharing in every aspect. I'm always, I'm taking crazy pictures and I'm making crazy music. I'm sharing every aspect of my life. I do want everybody to know everything about me. So I feel like I'll take that same approach on the next album. My goal will just be to not make it sound like this album, whether that means using no synths and maybe recording it. In Nashville with a full band, but making it still hit like a hip hop record. That's actually interesting. That I think about it, nobody's really recorded a band but made it sound. Oh, that's not true. I guess Rick would always do that. Like when he recorded System of a Down, captured the real drums in the room, the guitars, but it still hit like a hip hop record. So I guess I I would take that approach. I think your label's like. Wait, did he just commit to recording his next album with a live band? I again. I, I always I always come up with ideas. Just like talking out loud, I'm sure the label loves hearing that I'm going to use a live band. It sounds twice as expensive as the. This album was moderately cheap to make.
1: Thanks so much for joining me. It was great to meet you.
2: Great to meet you as well, fellow Jerseyan.
1: And that is our show for today. Rolling Stone Music Now will be back next week. Download us wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and try to leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. That's always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.